Welcome to the special presentation of St. Gabriel Catholic Radio, Catechesis from the Cathedral. Join Father Adam Streitenberger on a tour of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. In today's episode, Father Streitenberger covers paragraphs 142 to 197, What is Faith? Here's Father Streitenberger. Enjoy. Welcome everyone. Um, back or for your first time. Uh, the good news is is that the, well there's only good news, I don't have any bad news. So, The, the good news is that supposedly the, the um, previous classes, the previous sessions are going to be or are on the St. Gabriel Radio Archive. So um, they told me that they would be up this week. And then also, Wednesday at 4 o'clock this week, the first session will be aired on St. Gabriel Radio. So, um, so we made it, finally. The, um, today we are covering, we're beginning with paragraph 142. Now, I think that this will be a shorter session. I think we can do this in under an hour, maybe. Um, But I also think um, that this is probably one, if not the most significant part of the catechism um, that really struck me this week. I know um, it's always um, cool and exciting to say that something is the most of something, and it draws greater attention to it. But I, I do think that this, is, this, this section is an important one. What, where we are at is, again, in the first part of the catechism. So to review again, there are the four parts. This first part deals with the creed. And then the first three chapters of the first four part, of the first part, we deal with this threefold action. One, man's search for God. Two, God reaches out to man seeking him. And then third, and that's what we're going to cover today, is that man responds to that. That threefold action, as I've been saying again and again to kind of emphasize, really serves as the structure for the entire catechism. Man's search kind of, cord, kind of corresponds with those things that we know by reason. So the stuff that's not really covered in the catechism. God reaching out to us, as we heard last week, is his revelation. The content of that revelation is the creed, which is the first part. And what we're going to be covering for most of this first, or the next couple months. The third action is man's response, which corresponds to the last three parts of the catechism. And it really describes 
what we do in response to revelation. So, the life of the sacraments, morality, and prayer are part of this response. Now, this chapter that we're on, which describes initially man's response, is entitled or deals with this thing called faith. In paragraph 142, we hear, By his revelation, the invisible God from the fullness of his love addresses men as his friends and moves among them in order to invite and receive them into his own company. The adequate response to this invitation is faith. So one of the things that we hit upon with Revelation last week was that God does this gradually so that the human race might come to know him not just intellectually by these principles, but might develop a relationship. Or as this paragraph says, that they might become friends of God. And so, Revelation is God's reaching out to us in order to develop this relationship that we might grow to know Him. And faith then is our response to that. It's our part of this relationship building interaction. Throughout this, this section, this chapter that we're covering, we're going to have at least, as far as I can count, or at least off of my mind, there's about a dozen different definitions for the word faith. For, so when we use faith, there's at least 12 different definitions that the Catechism uses in these paragraphs. I think the more often, or, or how, how might we say this, the more definitions a word has, it seems the more important that it is. If we go into the dictionary and there's a word and its section of the dictionary goes on for three or four pages, then we know it must be a pretty significant and commonly used word in the language. And that's the same with faith. And that's why I think this, this is so important, because this section describes generally, but also in principle, what our part is in this relationship with God. But the other reason why faith is treated with all these different definitions is because it is, in some ways, it's like a jewel, like a finely cut diamond with all of these different um, dimensions, all of these different angles, all of these different corners, these, these sides. We would say that Faith really is this multifaceted jewel. And for us to really understand it and therefore to understand our response to God, we have to see it from all of these different angles. And so I use this star-like figure 
an asterisk, whatever you want to call it. Because a lot of these facets of faith that these definitions set up seem to be opposites of each other. We're going to see this as we go on. That our understanding of faith is really a beautiful balance between these different kind of opposing facets. In paragraph 143, we get our first definition of faith. By faith, man completely submits his intellect and his will to God. This paragraph describes then our response is as an obedience of faith, an obedience of faith. By faith, man completely submits his intellect and his will to God. It's a submission, a complete submission to God. It uses in this um, definition the idea of the intellect and the will. These two components of what it means to be human. Of course, the, by the intellect, we come to know the truth. By the will, we come to exercise our freedom to make choices. These are the two things that are distinctive about being human, sort of the essence of what it means to be a human. An ability to know and to comprehend and to understand, and ability to exercise freedom to choose. Faith engages both of these. And so therefore, that submission of faith, it really, it really touches upon all that it means to be a human. We're giving our entire self to the Lord by this faith. But it also means then, therefore, not just that it's the whole person, the whole human person that's engaged in this response, but it also points to how faith kind of is lived. Faith is an act of the intellect. It is something which touches upon our intellect, which means that faith is about accepting and understanding certain principles, truths. So we often say, I believe in one God, I believe in this principle that there is only one God, and I believe in this one God. By the will, of course, our response to um, submission, so our response of submission to the intellect is that I accept this as something true, even though I cannot fully understand or prove it by my own intellect. I accept this as something true. This is faith. These, I accept these principles as true. And it affects my will in that I trust. This is how I exercise my will and faith. We often talk then about faith as fiduciary. Fiduciary is the fancy word. Fiduciary means this faith as trusting. So we do this all the time, every day. 
well, I'm a Catholic, I believe in these certain principles. I believe in God, I know that he'll take care of me. So it, it deals with both our intellect and our will. And our will. It is both an, an accepting of truths and a trusting in a person. The Catechism then goes on to really give us two models for this obedience of faith. And in paragraph 144, we're given sort of a definition of faith, at least from, from the sense that it means an obedience. To obey is from the Latin ab audere, to hear or listen to. And there is, of course, a distinction between to hear or listen to. I remember growing up whenever um, my dad needed to communicate some truth. He would say, um, you're not just hearing me, are you? You're listening. And the sense that hearing is just my sensation of a noise or a sound, but listening is actually taking it in and processing. And that's really what this, this notion of, especially in the sense of the intellect is, I'm hearing these truths, but I'm also listening to their, these truths. They're forming who I am. And so the Catechism provides two great models for us, taken from sacred scripture. The first is Abraham as a model of faith. Abraham accepted certain principles and he also trusted completely in the Lord. And in paragraph 146, we get our third definition of faith. Faith, and this is taken from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. There is this sense of assurance of things hoped for as almost as an act of the will that I'm trusting in these promises that the Lord has made to me, but also a conviction in the truth that there is this God who is guiding my life. And then the greatest model in paragraph 148 and 49, the greatest model is Our Lady, the Blessed Virgin Mary, who accepts the truths that God is going to become incarnate through her and also entrusts herself completely to him. This idea then of faith as an obedience, as a submission, is also something that is, I think, quite difficult for us to reconcile. That faith is, on the one hand, something that requires obedience, even a submission. But as the Catechism proceeds, it's going to also tell us that even though we're submitting ourselves, giving ourselves completely to the Lord, that faith also is something free. 
free in the sense that this is not thrust or forced upon us, but is a free act of our will. But also, I would add that faith is freeing. Just as scripture is inspired and inspiring, faith is free and freeing. That it engages our freedom, that we freely submit ourselves to the Lord, but also it gives us freedom when we submit to the Lord. In paragraph 150, we begin the setup of this. Our fourth and fifth definitions of faith are in this paragraph. The fourth, faith is first of all a personal adherence of man to God, a personal adherence of man to God. At the same time and inseparably, inseparably, it is a free assent to the whole truth that God has revealed. As personal adherence to God and assent to his truth, Christian faith differs from our faith in any human person. It is right and just to entrust oneself wholly to God and to believe absolutely what he says. It would be futile and false to place such a faith in a creature. So, something which I think we have all heard um, in this age and in the modern world, but also I think something which each of us experience is when we come to the Lord, do we really want to submit ourselves completely to him? This seems contrary to what it means to be a human. It seems like this is the death of me to submit myself to him. Well, the catechism is, is preparing us for this. It's not just a cultural objection, but it's really what we would say is an existential objection. If we don't feel that, then there's probably something wrong with us. We might be crazy to think that this is something very difficult to give myself completely to the Lord, or that this seems as if it's going to destroy me, destroy my very self. The Catechism is preparing us for this in saying that really faith is something very human. It is very human for us to have faith. That each of us, in order to live have had to have faith in other human beings. We've had to accept what they've said, and we've had to entrust ourselves to them and to their care. This is the case most especially with our parents, that in order for us to live, we automatically trusted our parents. This is, we are born into this condition of, of faith, of the need to accept what people say, what is revealed to us, and to entrust ourselves to another. There's really nothing more human than faith. The Catechism also points out in this section that faith is uniquely Christian. 
in that it is a faith in all three persons of the Trinity. It is a triune faith that we believe in God, the Father, we believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and we believe in the Holy Spirit. The church never ceases to proclaim her faith in one only God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Catechism then moves in paragraph 153 to some more characteristics. So it's set up already the foundations of this, that faith is this, this obedience to God, which entails our entire self. Now we're gonna really kind of flesh this out and explain this a little bit more, these different dimensions of what it means to have faith. So first, in paragraph 153, we get our sixth definition, if you're still counting, the sixth definition of faith. Faith is a gift of God, a supernatural virtue infused by Him. So first of all, we could say that faith is a grace, or we might say that it is a gift from God. It is, as we say, a supernatural virtue, which means it's not something like the other virtues which we can obtain by practice on our own or by habit develop on our own. It is a pure gift. Those who object that the Catechism, um, especially starting out with man's search for God, somehow puts the responsibility on man should read these sections. The Catechism reminds us that faith is a grace. It is a pure and complete gift from God. We are unable to respond to God's revelation, which itself is a pure gift, without this gift of faith. Moreover, as we said in the first part, even that desire for God is because God has created us that way. So, on the one hand, faith is a complete gift of God. It is a divine gift. It is a grace. But then in 154 and 155, we are reminded that this gift is also human. It is a human act, faith is. A human act. Paragraph 154, it's worth reading the whole thing. Believing is possible only by grace and the interior helps of the Holy Spirit. But it is no less true that believing is an authentically human act. Trusting in God and cleaving to the truths he has revealed, trusting and truths, intellect and will, he has revealed are contrary neither to human freedom nor to human reason. Even in human relations, it is not contrary to our dignity to believe 
what other people tell us about themselves and their intentions or to entrust trust their promises. For example, when a man and a woman marry. Another example of why faith is something natural to being human. To share a communion of life with one another. If this is so, still less is it contrary to our dignity to yield by faith the full submission of intellect and will to God who reveals and to share in an interior communion with him. If it is built in who we are to entrust ourselves, to have faith, to accept what other people say, if this is something that is built into us as human beings, as I said with the example of our parents from the very beginning, then even more so we should entrust ourselves to the Supreme Creator, the Supreme Being, the one to whom our reason kind of indicates, points to, that has made us, even more so should we entrust ourselves into Him. He's the one who can actually keep His promises. So built into this really, I think, is an argument, a proof for the existence of God. The Catechism is building in here. It's built on this proof of desire, which I think is crucial in living in this age. That all of us, from the, the time that we came out of the womb, have been expecting someone to inform us and to take care of us that all of us, even though we have been burned maybe even countless times in human relationships, still have this sort of natural inclination to trust. In the same way, all of us at times are thirsty. Built into being human is a thirst for drink or a hunger for food. Well, we know that there's water that will quench that thirst. We know that there is food which quenches our hunger. We have this desire for something that we can trust in and believe in. And therefore, it points to the fact that there must be someone who can actually fulfill that, not drop us or break our hearts, but one who actually fulfills this desire to trust in someone and to be taken care of by someone. So the catechism in that one paragraph 154 then, I think it sets up a very good definition, a seventh definition. Believing is an authentic human act. It is an authentic human act which means it does entail our intellect and our will, the things which are most human. It also, and therefore it engages our freedom. It's not, even though it is a gift, it is something which we nonetheless accept and respond to. Now I think, um, you know, just to kind of go on a slight little, um, deviation, one of the, the, 
the problem is is that when we narrow our definition of faith or when we when we define faith too narrowly then we have to set up these dimensions and it seemed in the at the time of the reformation luther's problem is that he wanted to narrowly define faith and that is probably his biggest problem but the the catechism has this very beautiful multifaceted and authentic definition of faith which really kind of deals with whatever objections luther or calvin or their ilk would have had if only they would have kind of accepted the fuller understanding of faith which the tradition has handed on but that's in paragraph 155 again the catechism hits this in faith the human intellect and will cooperate with divine grace believing is an act of the intellect assenting to the divine truth by command of the will moved by God through grace there's our eighth definition and it comes from Thomas Aquinas at footnote 27 says that faith or believing is an act of the intellect assenting to the divine truth by command of the will moved by God through grace that grace moves our will to move the intellect to accept this truth both the truth of the principles of the faith but also of this trusting relationship with God um, both the um, so just to kind of summarize Thomas's definition so grace moves the will to freely move the intellect to accept these principles both the principles I would say the articles of the faith the intellectual part but then also to kind of submit in a trusting sense to the Lord Thomas's um, so the authors of the catechism have a slightly different understanding and broader understanding of the relationship between the will and the intellect than Thomas does I will not comment on who is more accurate then in order to really emphasize this idea that it is a human act that faith is a human act we have paragraphs 156 through 159 which hit a point I think a couple um, crucial things so first of all and a very relevant I think paragraph in our own time and age points out that um, this this faith leads to an under a deeping deepening understanding um, an understanding of the world and of ourselves and of the items of revelation themselves
in 156, we have this a new kind of definition, a new, a new word. It's not a definition of faith, um, but one of these sort of um, phrases which are good for us to know. And that is motives of credibility. Motives of credibility. So in the very first um, chapter of this part of the catechism, in our first session, we talked about the proofs or the ways of, of God. So in looking at the world and in looking at the human person, we can come to understand um, that, that there must be a God based on looking at these things. And there are different ways, you know. Um, well, there are also these motives of credibility that when we see things, they kind of strengthen our faith. They, seem, they make it seem more credible. These motives of credibility, the Catechism says, include the miracles of Christ and the saints, prophecies, the church's growth in holiness, and her fruitfulness and stability. These things do not force us to believe. Um, it says, they show us that the ascent of faith is by no means a blind impulse of the mind. That these things point to the credibility of the faith, but they don't, they don't serve as the foundation or the cause or the, um, you know, the, the source of our faith. We don't come to believe because of miracles or because we've seen miracles or something supernatural. But when we see miracles and the supernatural, they strengthen our faith. It is a test for each of us, I think, in, in two ways. First of all, to kind of really clearly examine ourselves to make sure that our faith really is rooted in Christ and that we are convinced of him and we submit ourselves to him completely. That we're not believing just because of some one particular incident or one particular supernatural thing that we have seen. But there's also because, um, you know, we are all here to kind of, I think, be formed ever more so as disciples and as missionary disciples. The relationship between miracles and evangelization is something um, very, very crucial for us to have right. Um, it is true that in the workings of Christ, miracles always often happen. Christ healed a lot of people. He did a lot of miracles. Um, but the, the, the question, I guess, that we must always, uh, we must always um, kind of keep in mind is, is it the miracles themselves that we come to believe in, or is it Christ himself that we come to believe in? Um, and I think this is why the Catechism is proposing us to this, that the miracles strengthen our faith in Christ but they are not 
the object of our faith. In paragraph 157, we are told that faith is certain. It is more certain than all human knowledge because it is founded on the very word of God who cannot lie. In paragraph 158, again, this is all strengthening our human, this idea of faith as something human. So it gives us sure knowledge. In 158, faith seeks understanding. Fides querens intellectum is the Latin from St. Anselm. The idea that the, the faith is always strengthening. Yes, it is a gift from God. It is a grace. However, as a human act, it is something which continues to, we continue to grow in. Our faith continues to strengthen. And one of the ways that we strengthen, we deepen that faith is by coming to a deeper understanding of it by studying the faith as we're doing. And even more, it helps us to come to take possession of that, of that faith. So on the one hand, even though faith is certain, it is also ever-growing, deepening in understanding. So often we see and we encounter, I think, especially young people, um, younger people, um, in their teenage years, which of course most people, statistically we know, the median age for when people reject the faith is 13. 13, so even before they're into high school, most kids have rejected the faith. Or at least the ones who are going to reject the faith have rejected the faith. Um, Certainly in high school and college, there is this, this wrestling, as we say, um, with the faith. And people get, get scared because these young people get afraid because, well, I'm questioning this, which is supposed to be certain. You know, it's supposed to be a certain knowledge. But it's also something which is tested, and the catechism will will tell us that later in paragraphs 164 and 165. That on the one hand, faith is something very bright and illuminating, but on the other hand, it is something dark and obscure. It's not really of this world in that sense. The key, I think, is to not be afraid when we are seeking to deepen our understanding of the faith. It is it's sort of the analogy of the day because I used it in an early conversation. When you're drowning, the worst thing to do is to panic. Now, of course, that's the natural reaction. In the same way, when we are questioning the faith, the worst thing to do is to panic, but actually to see it as a way to really come to a deeper possession. Let me wrestle with this item of the faith whether it be a moral teaching, whether it be something even more fundamental. Let me wrestle with this so that I can come to a possession, a deeper possession of it, so that it really gets um, worked out into my system even, even more so, worked into my system even better. In 
In 159, we're also reminded that because faith is human, that means that the content of faith, what we believe in, the revelation, does not contradict what reason can prove to us, namely like say the sciences, that faith and reason are not in contradiction with each other, but are reconcilable because there is only one truth and they give us two vantage points. That faith contributes something which science needs, namely this sort of eth the ethical principles but also the humility which science needs, that they can't answer everything or that their range, their subject matter is limited. On the other hand, science contributes something very great to faith. It helps us to understand this world which has been created by God and how marvelously it has been created. Again, this idea of um, faith and reason is a very, a very difficult challenge in the work of the new evangelization. The number one reason why those 13-year-olds leave the faith is because for some reason they think that science and faith are irreconcilable. The Catechism then proceeds 160 through 161 or 161, 162, on a, some other characteristics. So again, 160, that faith is free. It is a submission, but it's also free. It is, in paragraph 160, our ninth definition of faith. To be human, man's response to God by faith must be free, and therefore nobody is to be forced to embrace the faith that faith must be free. It, is a, it has to be a free act. And in fact, we would say that it's not even faith if it's not freely assented to. It's something else. It's being a parrot or mimicking something, you know? I would also add in this section that it is something which is freeing, that faith is something freeing. In 161, we are told of the necessity of faith, that faith is necessary for justification. As St. Paul, or as, as, we hear in the, as we hear in the gospel, And from actually from the Council of Trent, the quote is, since without faith, faith it is impossible to please God and to attain to the fellowship of his sons, therefore without faith no one has ever attained justification, nor will anyone obtain eternal life but he who endures to the end. And that sets up 162 that on the one hand the faith is... Um, and this I'm going to add another line because I'm saving that special one for another one. But on the one hand, um, faith is one act. I think there it says it's a personal act. 
Now, sometimes we repeat this, and sometimes, in fact, we probably need to repeat it almost every breath. Um, it is an act that I'm submitting myself to God. Certainly in baptism, that act of justification, by, by, at which we also, you know, we receive the gift of faith which justifies us, is one act, you know, our baptism. However, we know that faith also requires perseverance. So we live by faith. In the same way that this faith, which is the complete submission of ourself, is not just one act. It is one act in some sense. It is a deliberate giving of ourselves to God. But it's also something which comes to define our entire life as well. And it requires perseverance. And as it indicates, this gift of faith can be lost. Faith, and this is paragraph 162, faith is an entirely free gift that God makes to man. We can lose this priceless gift. As St. Paul indicated to St. Timothy, wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting conscience, certain persons have made shipwreck of their faith. Faith can be lost. In paragraph 164 and 165, again, we see this, the brightness of faith, but also the obscurity of faith as well. And then this leads us into the intro, really, of the, the next, the rest of the part of the Catechism, which is going to deal with the Creed. In paragraph 166 in this section titled, We Believe, we're going to get another, this last dimension, this last facet of, of faith. And that is faith is personal, It is I, and it is communal. It is we. In paragraph 166, faith is a personal act, the free response of the human person to the initiative of God who reveals himself. But faith is not an isolated act. No one can believe alone, just as no one can live alone. Let's call that our 11th definition of faith. That, for, that sentence there. It is a personal act that each one of us, exercising our own freedom, must submit ourselves to God. But it is not something that we do alone either. It is communal. If you recall in the old translation, and by old translation I mean the one that we got rid of in 07, or wait, no, oh, uh, 2012 or 11, something like that, yeah. No, this is of the Mass, excuse me, of the Mass. We used, the creed used to be, we believe in one God, the, 
the Father Almighty, which is not precisely what the Latin says, but they emphasize that because whenever the bishops were gathered at an ecumenical council, they would always say it in the first person plural, we. To realize that we actually we profess the faith as a community, as the church. We can't profess it on our own. One, because it automatically, faith automatically brings us into a community, but also we receive the faith from that community. And really when we reflect upon baptism, that's one of the things that baptism reveals to us, is that I receive this faith from someone else, from my parents, from my godparents, from the church. That this faith is a pure gift from God, which is handed on to me through this community. But, as the Catechism will emphasize to us, it is something which I must personally adhere to and accept. Baptism is an objective act of justification, but we need to subjectively, we need to individually accept that gift of our baptism at some point in our life. This is the tension of the new evangelization, I think, in our country, is that on the one hand, we know that we have not done a great job in Catholicism in America of emphasizing the need to personally adhere to and personally accept the faith on behalf of oneself. That for generations and for decades and centuries, we've relied on the culture and the family, that this is what my family does and this is what my culture does. This is what my community does. But in this postmodern age where community and family are kind of obliterated in some sense, or at least, you know, denigrated, and really in the American context where we are radical individuals, we need to keep in mind that each one of us has to make this personal adherence. But we can't go overboard and lose this communal sense which I think is the danger that sometimes happens. That we emphasize the individual and then we begin to lose the fact that this is something which is handed on and that it is something which is lived communally as well. In paragraph 166 at the very end of it, I cannot believe without being carried by the faith of others, and by faith I help support others in the faith. In the same way, you know, our act of believing as little children, as babies, as infants, of believing in other human beings, is only possible because those other humans have given us birth and hold us. So if we want to use that, um, human analogy, the human act analogy, it also points to this communal, communal idea of faith. 
Paragraph 169, just to point that out. Salvation comes from God alone, but because we receive the life of faith through the church, she is our mother. We believe the church as the mother of our new birth and not in the church as if she was the author of our salvation. Because she is our mother, she is also our teacher in the faith. The church is mother and teacher. But that distinction that we believe the church as the mother of our new birth and not in the church, um, as if she were the author of our salvation. One of the, um, I think, the things to keep in mind, both in human relationships, but also in the relationship with the church, is that they are um, icons. That the people that we love in our life, be it our spouse, our friends, our family members, um, that they are not ends of themselves, but that they point to Christ in the same way the church points to Christ. They are very necessary to who we are and to our life, and loving them helps us to encounter Christ, but they themselves, in themselves, are not Christ, but they point to Him. Um, and the Catechism is just kind of is reminding us of that. but indeed that the church is our mother and our teacher. Finally, to end, um, we are reminded that there is only one faith. And over the course of three paragraphs, the Catechism again quotes St. Irenaeus of Lyon, that bishop from the 200s who lived in France who gave us the, uh, the list of the first half dozen or dozen or so popes um, who reminds us of the tradition and the source of revelation. He also reminds us that there is throughout the world just one faith which has been revealed. Um, and then as the catechism switches then we go into the creeds themselves. Um, they give us both the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. Um, the, the real structure for the next, what is it, 700 paragraphs, 900 paragraphs, um, about 800 paragraphs, is the, is the Apostles' Creed. I just want to emphasize that there's a lot of paragraphs that, that we're going to have have to go through that that big of a section is on the is the apostles creed is the structure but it really it really touches upon everything that's con contained in the nicene creed as well so let us end with a prayer in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen hail mary full of grace the lord is with thee blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb jesus Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. You've been listening to Catechesis from the Cathedral with Father Adam Streitenberger. If you'd like to listen to this episode again, download it or share it with a friend, 
please visit stgabrielradio.com. Go to our audio archives and look for Catechesis from the Cathedral. Thanks so much for joining us today. God bless and have a great day.